Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 112, I think, of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Marcus Brigstock. At last, I've been wanting to get Marcus on for ages. I bloody love Marcus. Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Damn, right, um, that's that hay fever. Um, Yeah, with Marcus Brigstock, he's a lovely dude. We've known each other a while. We were excited to talk and, man, it's a beautiful chat. It gets heavy at points. It gets it's it's hilarious at points. It's it's basically a Marcus Brigstock show. That's how his, his shows are. They have some seriousness. They have some heaviness, and they have a lot of laughs. And that's what he came in and and delivered as ever. So I hope you enjoy it. We also talk a bit about r- r- records and the joy of listening to vinyl. You can buy loads of vinyl at speechdevelopmentrecords.com at the moment. You can buy my records. You can buy Sage Francis records. You can buy B. Dolan records. And you can buy King Blues records. So uh, head over there and snap some of that up. I'm going to get some recommendations in again because I don't think I, I mentioned them last week. But Sage and Dolan are at the Fringe. Check them out. They're on at one thirty every day in the stand in the square, um, which is fantastic. I loved it. It's a little yurt um, and it's great. I also recommend Rob Alton. I caught him while I was up here at the Banshee Labyrinth at four o'clock every day. Absolutely amazing. I also recommend James Acaster, um, former podcast guest. He's on at 7.30. His shows keep selling out, but it's at the Pleasance One if you can get a ticket. And Rob Alton's keep selling out, and Sage and that have been rammed as well. So, yeah, check all of them out, and then enjoy this lovely podcast. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. It's nice, isn't it? And and we're away. Um, I'm joined by Marcus Brigstock. How are you, man? I'm very well. It's good to see you. And you, as or both of us were saying when we arrived, I was, I was very excited about this because we've not caught up in ages. No, it's been... Like even a couple of years, I think. Yeah. It's usually a field yeah, was, somewhere, a field good. going on or off stage. How are you, man? I'm good. You're still making new things? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same. Still doing the same stuff. And and that's exactly it. Because I've been off for touring for a little while. Yeah. And I was trying to think earlier when or where we met. And it will have been a festival, either Glastonbury I think or, it was Bestival. Or Bestival, yeah, yeah. or Camp Bestival. Or, yeah, yeah. Or one of them. And it's kind of, I like them relationships that... I don't know. There's 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 something kind of b- b- beautiful that there's no particular need to check in regularly. No, we just know exactly. our paths are going to cross r- regularly, and, yeah, and when yeah. they do, it's all it's always enjoyable. It might be yeah. halfway up a mountain that exactly. in a ski resort. It might be in a field. Yeah, yeah. It might be in a hotel room in Edinburgh. And no but, time has passed. It's yeah. just like yeah, you're still making things. I heard yeah. the things you made. I like yeah. the things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's that. That's it. it's, it's that constant. Yeah, yeah. Never ending story. I find of, that. I find that, like, especially, you know, here at the Edinburgh Festival and stuff, like, this is summer camp yeah. for clowns, you know. I'm surrounded by people that I don't really see that much anymore. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, anybody who makes stuff, like, that's really, for me, like, that's the only thing now that I think is really kind of sacred and special and precious. Like, yeah. do you make things? Great. Yeah. Great. Even if I don't like the things you make, if you're out there doing the thing of, like, just creating something, I think that's phenomenal. There's going to be that connection. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this, yeah. This is the first podcast I'm recording at the Fringe, other than I did a live one uh, last night as an audience thing. But 
how you finding it so far this year? It's, it's early great, in man. the fringe, but it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's early. It's a but I arrived, thing, a, isn't it? Yeah. I arrived a couple of days early by mistake. Yeah. I've just, I was saying to you on the way up here, but yeah. I've stopped reading details of my life because my in life August, is... In yeah, August, you don't need details. Kind of all year. You know, yeah. people are always saying like, oh, where, when's your next like big thing? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, like, I'll know when I have to do it because yeah. I'll be all ready for it and everything, but I don't yeah. really know. But I, this place, like, I love this. Yeah. It's incredible. People get sucked into the idea. This is the biggest arts festival in the history of the world. Yeah. Right. So that's impressive in its way. Massively. But for me, it's much more just that most of the people here are paying to show you the thing they made. Like yeah. it's costing them money yeah. and that's, yeah. that's totally fine, you know, but, but just standing there or, or dancing or creating something and going, Hey, I made this. Do you like it? Yeah. I hope you like it. Yeah. You know, I made it to be enjoyed on some level. And it's it's kind of, I don't know, it seems to me a bit sort of cheesy almost, maybe a bit romantic, but I absolutely fell in love with that thing a few years ago. And it's meant that every fringe has been non-stress for me. Yeah. It's just been like, I made a thing. Look at me. That's look, great. I made look, something. I've done this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I made what's it. kind of, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, when you're here and when you're in the middle of it, it's so normal. Yeah. But it's not normal at all. <laughs> it's not in any Apparently way normal. It's not. And yeah. I've really had that highlighted with um I was mentioning the lifters as, as as well. I've just just finally been to see the Sage Francis and B. Dolan show yeah. here and they're Americans. And Americans in general are very confused by the fringe because yeah. it is it is a very confusing thing that, that you do a gig in one place and mm-hmm. you expect people to come from all over the country yeah. to see it. And and they do. I know, weird. So and how like, do we then just go back the rest of the year to touring and go into their towns and cities? It's like, in the oddest why can't you do that the whole too. year? Just go, right, I'm just going to perform here. And if you could all just just, just pop along. Just that, agree. That, that, that'd be lovely. Just agree that the pallets and the crate yeah. that I'm in this year yeah. will be the place that we'll meet. Yeah. And it's great. And people do. They show up. And you, I always see something, usually several things that you go, wow, I had no idea that was a that was possible or yeah. that anyone else would be interested in seeing yeah. that. That's, it's mind blowing. Were the Americans all right with it? They're getting, they're getting used to it. Yeah. There was things, it was great <laughs> because I got him up on the live podcast last night and Sage was like, and again, it, I loved it because he was, they were concerned afterwards that they might have sounded as if, because they were j- 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 joking about them. They might have sounded disrespectful to the process or whatever. Cause yeah. Sage was like, yeah. So B took me into this and said that we've got to do it. And I was like, cool. And then we booked it. And then he was saying that we've got to, like, go out flyering and stuff. And he was just like, I'm not doing that. That's, <laughs> that's not what happens. I'll be putting out stuff on social media and yeah. then I'll be coming and doing my gig, but I'm not spending all day standing no. in the street flying. And again, it is, it's absolutely mental that that's what, yeah. that's what we all do. The actual people in the show are out on the street. Again, you don't get that. If you're going to see someone at Brixton Academy, no, when you come exactly. out of the station, you don't see them standing there handing out flyers saying, I'm playing at Brixton tonight. But you know you what? I did come it. Along. I did it. So in 96 was the first year I came here. So yes. this is 20 years for me as yeah, well. Yeah, wow, it's a massive year. Yeah. Yeah, I came up here with a student sketch group. Yeah. We were all at Bristol and came up with a student sketch group. And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So we printed flyers and we stood on the street and we worked out Oh, if you can be entertaining on the street in some way, yeah. people will come to the show. Yeah. Okay, never seen this before. Right, let's do this. 
So we did it and it was all fine. And then we went back to London, right? Or we went back to Bristol, but we came to London. We got a run at the New End Theatre. We printed flyers and stood at stood at Highgate Station. Going, comedy show tonight, comedy show tonight. Handing flyers to people just looking at us going, That's like, what you. are you doing? That's yeah. not... yeah. Nobody does this. It's not the code, you yeah. know. Like, and I, I, I we it. were gobsmacked that it didn't work. And like, but we gave out. We've had like five thousand flyers it's, printed, it's, and still no one's it's coming. Weird from everyone's angle, because as a as a as an audience member at the Fringe, it's a yeah. different thing. In London, I'm sure some people do, but in general, around the country, you don't just go and see stuff. No, you have a plan. That you've not heard of. You plan yeah. something, you go, right, I'm going to go and see this, or I'm going to go and see that, or I'm into this person, they're yeah. in town tonight. At the Fringe, you do spend a lot of time just going, yeah, let's go to I'll that. I'll see that. Let's yeah, go to I'll that. wander into that and see what happens. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. I, 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 I love that. At the Rob Alton one, I was, again, I was mm. mentioning to you on the Free Fringe, I loved that I was standing in the queue, and I'd got there early, just because I'd mm. got there early, and I was pleased because it got got so busy, but... The people, it was at four o'clock and the people in, in front of me were discussing how it was their f- a fifth show of the day and how yeah. this one wasn't very good and that one was good. But yeah, they yeah. didn't seem to have heard of anyone they'd gone to see. And I was like, I love this. That yeah, that is up, amazing. That you've got up real early and just gone to see almost anything. And maybe on the free fringe because that's kind of that, yeah. that, that, that risk is taken away. And that's what I like about the fringe because if you're here, then why not? Yeah, totally. If, if yeah. you're here, why not throw not yourself stay in. in your room? And the or free fringe else? has been a game changer where that's concerned, you know, yeah. in that the fringe was really in danger of driving people out. I mean, there were comedian friends of mine, and granted, their agents were pushing them in a certain direction, but who'd do a show and they'd end up owing their own management like 20, yeah. 30 grand at the end of the month. Just nuts. brutal. And then a lot of people were going, well, the fringe is not a thing you can do anymore. And the free fringe came along and it's just a game changer. And suddenly yeah. there's, it's been like creatively, it's raised the bar across completely, the board. Completely. It's there's, raised there's, the bar. There's not that kind of, that it has to be a certain thing or we no. can't take a risk on that. There's very much, I always remember, again, when I was here in, in 2013, um, a friend of mine saying he'd been to see the most amazing thing. And I can't remember the guy's name, but it was something like John John Allen um, lists everything. Yeah. And he was there every day just l- listing things. Awesome. And that was it, just saying words. And b- But the art of it became this beautiful thing because it was yeah, yeah. the comedy started to come purely in your own head. So he'd just be saying words, but the pauses or, yeah. or the saying a very serious word in a silly manner or a silly word in a serious manner or the timing of what words come after each other. Yeah, yeah. Things like that became this amazing bit of humour. But again, on paper... No one's putting that shit yeah, on. No, exactly. No one's going, so what's your show? I'm just going to list stuff. Right, good luck right, with that, buddy. <laughs> we're not putting that on. We're not putting that show on. But it, it worked because it was in the free yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see stuff like that and go, let's give that a look, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That sounds weird. Yeah, but you see, I think this festival, I think this raises the bar creatively for the whole of the UK. Yeah. Across the rest of the year. Yeah. Because we have, you know, like on the, the comedy scene, it was obviously the stuff I'm closest to. You've got Montreal, which is amazing, you yeah. know, huge, and Melbourne and all the rest of it. But those are invited festivals. They're come and, you know, come and do the show we've seen you do. It's not like this where people are like, this is brand new. Yeah. Might, might work, might not. Could be painful. Could be really difficult. And it raises the bar across the rest the, of the year. The, I, I, I ended last 
or, or the year I was up and saw a load of shows, I ended mm. quite s- s- sad because you realise that a lot of these shows, there's a new one next year. Yeah. So that show's gone now. Done. So there'd been things that I absolutely adored. And I was like, yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. And yeah. speaking to Stuart Lee about it, that kind of is part of the beauty of it, that there is this beautiful thing, particularly in a world where almost everything is documented somewhere or you can watch it online yeah. or whatever. It's like, no, tons of the stuff here, if you weren't in that small room mm. or in that tent arranged around some crates, then Tell me about you it, man. don't get that ever ha- It again. happened last night. Yeah. So last night I had a gig that I, I haven't had a gig like that in a really long time yeah. in that I got a proper heckle, yeah. like a proper real heckle that meant something. So I was on Best of the Fest. It started really late. So I was on about half past one in the morning, which I avoid now. I'm like, I I'm not really a night owl in the way that I used to be. Yeah. So I'm on stage and I was doing... And often at those shows, almost the expectation is that there's going to be drunk people attacking yeah, you. Exactly. You're, you're meant to deal yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. So it's that weird thing of, you can't even get mad at this because it's, yeah. it's one o'clock And I'm at bored by drunk. Yeah. Like, drunk people bore me yeah. enormously. I don't drink, so yeah. that's it. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I'm you're doing you. your thing. Yeah. But I, but there's no conversation to be had because we can never progress the conversation. Yeah. But I was doing all Brexit and post-Brexit material, yeah. everything about the changeover of government, about the appointment of Boris Johnson as foreign secretary, about what Brexit meant, da, da, da. And this guy yelled at me from the front row. He went, have you not got anything more up to date? And I was like, that's a weird heckle, man. I'm the only person doing any topical material. Yeah. And he went, oh, what? And he went, well, you're still, you're talking about David Cameron. He's not even prime minister anymore. You got anything else? And I went, well, I don't, hang on a minute. What's rattled your cage? And I looked right into his eyes. I was like, yeah. someone's pushed a button. You voted to leave Europe, didn't you? And he looked, briefly looked scared and then really defiant. And he went, yeah. And then it, and then it started to go off and he became really hostile. Wow. And I ended up, I shouted off stage. I went, listen, I'm supposed to have gone by now, but this is going to take a while. And we just went to town. Oh, wow. And I haven't done that in years. Yeah. I properly gone to town on something and it was massive. Yeah. It was huge. And I came off, I was like a cat who'd just been in a fight. Yeah. Like all my body hair was up on end. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. this, and it was amazing. And loads of people, like you know, because it split the room, but there were a bunch of people on their feet cheering, and others yeah. looking very uncomfortable. And I came off, and I tweeted about it, and people who were there were tweeting about it, and loads going, "Where is it? Where is it? Where is it?" And like, it was, it was it, there. It, it was there. there in that room, yeah. in that moment. It and it's filmed, for it me, wasn't... it's a great moment. It's a good memory and a good story. But it's like it means absolutely nothing outside of that moment. It was just. There and then. And I love that. Moments I like that are just the most exciting and the most terrifying at the same yeah. time because you've, in some ways, I often feel in preparing material on a subject, you also risk really limiting your knowledge on that subject because you're so focused Absolutely. on the bits you're working and tweaking yeah. that then when someone ch- challenges you outside of that, whereas even if you hadn't, or kind of, if you hadn't been working on material on it, you might have had a broader spectrum because you have to hone in so much. So then when you're challenged on it, you're then tested in that way. I'm sure you must have had some nerves of, this could go bad. He could turn around and, drop some facts that yeah, totally. I've not got and then... Totally. <laughs> it was an invitation, <laughs> though, to go past... Because I'm, you know, I'm conscious that the audience who comes to see me up here 
for the most part, Radio 4 listeners. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, I expect that there's a division of opinion. Yeah. So sure. I will be very confrontational because I think leaving Europe was a, was very specifically a mistake. I don't just mean like a mistake. I mean a mistake based on a lie yeah. that's been told again and again and again because it was easier than di- – not even easier than the truth, but easier than nuance yeah. because everything about Europe is complicated. So it's that, but I try and balance it. But this last night was an invitation to go, okay, now we can go all the way through all that surfacy, yeah. balance stuff and go – here is why you're wrong. And his heckle was based on, so you like being controlled yeah. by by other people. And I was explaining about 40 years of regulation and legislation will now be rewritten by civil servants and civil service lawyers and international law firms. Yeah. And they will that will take millions of pounds and so many hours to rewrite European legislation. It will then be passed into Parliament where one MP who you have less than a 50% chance of having voted for yeah. will get one vote on it, having not read the legislation because there won't be time. They'll be sent through the lobby by the whip. It yeah. will then go to the Lords unelected and then be passed back if necessary. Yeah. That's you taking back control. And it's yeah. all right. I'm all right with that process. Yeah. I don't want to be a lawmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah. is what you buy into. But this is what unfolded over. And you can't do that in a show. It's not it's, funny for a kickoff. Or, or, or that's the, the beautiful part is, is suddenly this, this individual, that's the balance now. <laughs> exactly. He's the balance. You're He's control, balance. buddy. I can go as far as I exactly. want because you're the balance. Because yeah. you're in the room and you're now in the show. Because he is, he's in the show now, this is part of it. It's like, that's it, I no longer have to provide a balanced argument because you are the balanced. I don't have to, I don't have to give you Brexit as a montage. Yeah. We can slow down the montage and go, these these are all the things that happened. Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, I would kind of like for it to have been recorded. Although watching it back, I'd probably be somewhat horrified by how I behaved because I did some, (laughs) I did some very gross sexual miming whilst delivering <laughs> very straight facts. Yeah. Uh, but Wondrous. but it was it was magic in the moment. And then went over to Masioki, having come off, like I said, bristling like a cat who's just been in a fight and did, uh, sang Purple Rain uh, at Masioki in front of like 300 other people who were like, yay, Purple Rain. <laughs> Amazing, man. It's only at yeah. the fringe, right? Yeah, only exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, you've touched on... on on the content there. And I remember the first time I became aware of you, it must have been, it, it must have been a, a late nineties, maybe early, early two thousands. Mm. And what really excited me. And at the time I really liked, there seemed to be you, there seemed to be Mark Steele mm. and one or two others who were doing comedy, but, but based on essentially based on education, I yes. guess, based on fact, based on education, and that was was really ex- exciting to me. You couldn't tell at points if this was a comedian teaching me something amusing or a teacher right. happens to have a sense <laughs> of humour kind of thing. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. So what was your kind of birth into in, in oh, into was, this area into comedy was a weird, into entertaining? There's a weird thing that happened. So I was I was at Bristol mm. at uni, and I knew I wanted to do comedy, and I did it all the time and I yeah. made shows and I put shows on and I'd go around the halls of residence and go, you want the show that I'm doing? And they'd go, do we? I go, yeah, it's a comedy show. Just get all the people in. It'd be great. And it was, and I learnt my craft and I was rubbish, bounced off the walls and all the rest of it. Then I became a good comic and then a really good club comic in yeah. that I was the headliner and I encore 
most of the shows I did and, you know, and it didn't seem to matter very much what I talked about, but I'd come off stage at those big club shows just with a sense of like, uh, this is something, something not right here. And I don't know what it, what it was. And then Blair was elected and I was quite full of hope about that, having been fairly apolitical. And then, the build up to the Iraq war. And for the first time in my life, I felt really passionate about something. Yeah. And at the same time, I was starting to get very interested in climate change. Just, I, I guess I read an article yeah. that made me go, that looks like that's the most serious thing that's yeah. happening. This should so I read, be an article I've just stumbled upon. Yeah, should be that should, that should have been everywhere. Right? Yeah. So I read more and more and more. And having been dyslexic and having been very unhappy and very dysfunctional as a kid. You know, I was in rehab by the time I was 17, right? So, yeah, so everything kind of blew up for me very young. Education, proper education kind of eluded me. I was 19 and sober and I suddenly went, oh, I've got nothing. Like, I've got no qualifications, I've got nothing. So, um, So starting to read, like really read, with a thirst for what I was reading rather than it being a requirement, became fascinating to me. And then the only shows I wanted to do were ones where I was like, I guess, I suppose the kind of arrogant part of it is go, please think what I think about this because you all thinking what I think about this will make me think maybe I'm not going nuts when I'm find myself surrounded by people seemingly who don't mind very much that this is happening, that we're about to go into a war that, we for a kickoff we can't win and by yeah. we i mean people anywhere yeah you know humans uh, can't yeah win we this humans war. can't win this war or seemingly yeah. any war although you know as i've got older you, you sort of go yeah i don't know those glib things go i'm really glad we fought back hard in world war Two. Yeah. yeah that seems to have been a really good decision yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. yeah and the intervention in kosovo seems to have been exactly the right thing to have done yeah. by that evil bloodthirsty warmonger uh, Tony Blair yeah. made a really good call and intervened and saved, yeah. saved some lives, you know, which maybe then informed a decision which I think was catastrophic and irresponsible and blah, blah, blah. So anyway. It's, 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 a, tough, it's a tough area to, or it's, it's, it's a very high risk game to be playing. Oh, no um, kidding. And as, as you said, when, it, when those dice come up right, you're heroes and you've saved the world and you will forever be remembered by yeah. a a, a poppy on a lapel a once yeah, a year. Yeah. And when those dice don't come up right, someone somewhere else in the world is remembering you, maybe not Absolutely. in as positive a manner. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think you can get past, I don't think you can get past the act of disposing of a person's life, yeah. even if you're on the side of good without there yeah. being very profound consequences. There's a, a film, uh, the French film La Haine, yeah. which is, you know, really about the French ghetto and stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. I want to watch it again because of a lot of what's happening in France is because of where and how the, the ghettos are managed yeah. there. But really what happens in La Haine is um, a, there's a gun that's introduced into a gang that was somewhat violent and a single yeah. gun is introduced and a couple of shots are fired. And the effect of those two shots is examined in the film and, and and the damage from them. And it was then I realised, like, I don't, it's not that I have a strong distaste for violent films. Mm. I don't. But I did, I did start to think, like, how many hours of film and telly have I watched that involved somebody pointing a gun 
another person and either using it or it having its effect. And I've never had that experience. Ever. And yeah, it's had very little consequence. I've, it's, I've had, it's had no consequence in in the narrative of the yeah. film, really. Like a life is ended, and, yeah. and that's it. But it's also like I've I've chosen to connect with it, and I've fired a few guns. You know, I've never pointed one at another person though. And I suddenly think like so many stories that we watch and we consume all the time, absolutely nothing to do with our experience yeah. at all. Yeah, it's really weird. It's that. fascinating. There's 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 two things there. Number one, a lot of people listening. I won't have seen uh, Lahane, and I'd recommend they do. Yeah, even if you have film. seen it, I'd recommend going and watching it again because a few years back they redid the subtitles, which a lot of people listening I won't have seen uh, Lahane, um, and I'd recommend they do. Yeah. But even if you have seen it, I'd recommend going and watching it again because a few years back they redid the subtitles, which sounds really stupid. Did they? But no, because good it call. was black and white. Yeah, it was really hard to read a lot of the yeah. subtitles, so it was a really. A, 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 Toughing, so there's a new version that was made with yeah. a, 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 a subtitle that you can read more, and it genuinely makes a difference. It, it, yeah. it allows you to be drawn in more. But another thing, um, it made me think there of of, of Gaspar Noe and Irreversible, mm. and I remember going to see that film in the cinema, and it's got some brutal and horrific scenes, and he got a lot of stick at the time um, because there's, I think it's like an eleven minute with no cuts, uh, rape scene. And it's really unpleasant. And he got a lot of stick at the time and a lot of places didn't want to screen it and all this. Mm. And I heard an interview with him and it was exactly on the lines of what you were saying there. He was like, it's the reason you don't want to show it is because it's horrific and it's really uncomfortable and it makes you feel sick and it makes you feel disgusted. Yeah. That should be your feeling when you're watching a rape scene. You shouldn't just see it on a screen and, keep eating your popcorn and move on to the yeah. next bit, which we do regularly in films. It might be, oh, that's unpleasant, but you're straight on to the next yeah, bit. It's yeah. not changing. And he was like, I like the fact, or the, the the reaction you're having, the anger you have towards me, that's the correct reaction. Yeah, yeah. You're just pointing it in the wrong place. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll fucking take that on the chin because as long as you're having <laughs> yeah. that reaction to a horrific act, yeah, then that's kind of the point of it. And, it's it's exactly that. It's it's similar with guns and whatever else. Mm. And and Lane is amazing for that because it's yeah, it's such a it's 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 such a small thing that then feeds the full narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in many films, a gun, a couple of shots being fired, as you said, onto yeah. the next part. That's what happens. No, that's that's changes everything. Guns are pulled out, and you there's not a moment's hesitation for me watching a film in which a gun is produced. Yeah. and and the arc of the story is changed by the presence of a gun that I go, oh, weird, I've never held a gun or changed a story. But I just go, yeah, of course, this is films, this is what films are. It's it's not until we're discussing this you realise how ludicrous that is. Mad, isn't it? Imagine if when we met up, I was like, how's Edinburgh been? You were like, my mate was shot last night. Yeah, game changer, festivals It would change absolutely everything. It It wouldn't be, oh, my mate was shot, but um, I saw this really good play. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Or even, or even, you know, like... That would be all that had happened. That would would be everything. Everything would change. Or a guy in my show heckled me and I went to town on him and he pulled a gun. Yeah. Like, that would be, that would be me, that would be me not at the festival anymore, probably, and it would be me considering... Well, what do I do next if I go out on tour with my material? Yeah. Yeah. And even for, you know, we read so many stories about 
guns and gun crime and all the rest of it. Even the American experience is not that. Very few people have had a gun pulled in a, you know, in a danger situation, if you know what I mean. Like they'll have seen plenty of guns, plenty yeah. of people they know have got one, yeah. but never pointed at them or at a yeah. person, you know, and yet these are seemingly most of the stories we're told in film. Yeah. Which I find weird. I mean, it's not like I go, oh, I'm more, I'll be honest, I'm more frustrated by the, by the number of people who now seem to be DC or Marvel. Yeah. Like, which were you, DC or Marvel? I'm like, right, okay, I'm 43. I knew maybe two people who read comics yeah. when I grew up, right? And I was surrounded by all sorts of different people yeah, in different yeah. phases and stages in my life. Now, seemingly, everybody was madly into them. I'm like... Everybody was uh, into it into it from day one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people have had to do a lot of online research. You see, as as a comic book nerd, I sure. I, no, I, I know I, you I, are. I do. I do. I've I've had to step away from that annoyance because also, again, I'm I'm someone with a beard, so I'm I'm the archetypal hipster. <laughs> Tough times and, for and, you, and man. And the archetypal <laughs> hipster says, like, again, I had, had someone say this the other day. They were like, oh. But you've had a beard for years. I was like, yeah, but what's more hipster than saying I had it before it was cool? I know, yeah. It's like, that, that's the argument. And it's similar with, with comic books. It's like, yeah. I can't g- get into that argument anymore because I, ca- I can't be like, you, you weren't reading comic books in your bedroom with no friends when, when I was doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, okay, let's just enjoy the beauty that there's a lot of films I enjoy being made. And, yeah. And we yeah, 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 yeah. But that's funny. That. Right? I'm wearing, <laughs> while we talk, I'm wearing a Miles Davis t-shirt yes. and I'm having, this is my third phase uh, of Miles Davis passion. Yeah. I've had three in my life. The Brilliant. first I was introduced to, uh, someone gave me Dubot, which is the last record he did with yeah. uh, Easy Mo B. Yeah. And it's like a really easy way in to Miles Davis and I really, really liked it. And then I went straight out and bought The Birth of the Cool and felt like I was being beaten up. I was yeah, like, I don't yeah. understand this. Yeah. But it, even the fact that it's called The Birth of the Cool makes me want to, yeah, like, wow, this is where Cool was born. <laughs> and it's like, this is just hard work. So I tried quite hard then. And then I had a big phase of really liking Miles Davis and starting that journey from, you know, like, okay, so Miles Davis, oh, okay, so he played with... Gil Evans and John Coltrane. And then there's like all these branches you can go out along. And I did that for a bit and then just lost interest and listened to a lot of other music. And then I went back in really hard to listening to loads of Miles Davis when I bought a record player again. That's basically what happened. And I had some records and I started putting them on and something about jazz on vinyl and standing up to turn the record over, which keeps you engaged with what you're listening to, which I really like, as do my kids, which is super cool. And so anyway, blah, 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 very, very, very into Miles Davis. And then I saw Don Cheadle was doing a movie. I'm like, oh, now everyone's going to think that I'm like, oh, just because a film came out. And I'm like, it really, really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. I love it. So you're going to have to stop being into it. Stop being into Miles Davis. I'm like, I had the T-shirt before the movie came out, guys. It's really good. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's really good. Yeah, It's, it's quite bizarre in that they took a five-year spell in Miles Davis's life when he didn't produce any work. And really, oh, wow. no one knows what happened. Yeah. And they've imposed their own narrative, which is great because... I was going to say, that's kind of a wise choice because then you isn't can't, it? can't fuck it up. Exactly. You know I mean? and also not, you're because not mistelling the story that everyone was And Ray for. is great. And What's Love Got To Do With It is yeah. great. And Walk The Line is great. But 
we're done really with tragic drug addicted, yeah. you know, like yeah. these stories have been told and told really, really well. So they imposed a, a kind of, uh, it's quite a silly narrative. A tape gets stolen and it's kind of a chase movie almost, yeah. oh, but wow. it's touching on a lot of these other yeah. things. Don Cheadle is just stunning. In really? It. Really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I mixed bag of a film, a but it's well worth a look. Yeah. yeah. But I'm quite obsessed at the moment with his, with Miles Davis's, like what happened to him. So he was so enormously skillful, yeah. right? And he was, he was one of the earliest uh, relatively poor black students to go into um, uh, Juilliard, I think it was anyway, yeah. uh, and just became technically brilliant. But the jazz thing of just playing standards yeah. and just exploring from standards and all of them, like really it's show tunes that you twiddle about with. Yeah. And so there's kind of a limit, but then he just like, he just broke free of all that stuff. And like Bitches Brew, which has always been an album that I've gone, oh, you're supposed to like that. So it's really hard work. Yeah, yeah. Like I finally, I finally feel like I've understood what the point of it is. It's not a record I'm inclined to play again and again yeah. and again because it, you, it's it's like a piece of work. It's like sit down yeah. and concentrate, yeah. pay attention to this, or you'll get lost and it'll mean nothing. Man, could that guy write an album name though? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Some the of birth, the best. What's the, birth the new record? Cool the birth of the cool bitches oh, brew. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, we're All putting right. this out. Yeah. yeah. Re- what's the next one? Sketches of Spain. Oh, oh man. <laughs> there are four records before. he did, and I've always thought they're the best. There's the the Miles Davis Quintet, and there's Cooking with steaming with, working with, and relaxing with the Miles Davis Quintet. And I've always told anybody who was interested, those four records, they are incredible. And I had no knowledge of anything about them other than I just love the musical. Really just incredible. And then somebody told me they um, they were a contract thing that he had to complete with, I think, Columbia. And they went, you owe us four records. And he went, okay, he did them in two days. It's, I mean, <laughs> he went in two days. Bizarrely similar. My p- Possibly my favourite album of all time is John Coltrane and, and Johnny Hartman's album right. that they did together, which was just called John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman. Mm-hmm. Absolutely adore it. Just the relationship between the vocals and, and, and the instrumentation is just the respect there is beautiful. There's no yeah. fight in each other. It's just yeah. amazing. And years later, I heard that they had a, basically a spare afternoon. <laughs> they had a amazing. spare afternoon and some studio time and went and did a load of standards and just went, let's churn these out. I'm like, yeah. no, no, but, that's not how my favourite album of but, all time came about. But, you, you know, the... You got an hour, yeah. The skill, the skill and the, uh, the, the, the work that's gone into the craft yeah. that means that they can then it's do that. Them to that I hope, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm a jazz wanker no, who goes like, mm, yeah, it's really special. Whereas actually what they did is they went, here's the melody... And his uh, his a modal response to yeah. it, and uh, yeah. da da da. But I th- I don't think that. I, I think when I had Riz Ahmed on the podcast, who's a fantastic actor and performer, he yeah. was saying he feels in, in in most of his or for a while in most of his acting roles, he would feel or he'd get on set and they'd just change everything and he'd be so improvised. He's like, I've honed and crafted my skills so much I've, 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 I've put in the, the discipline to learn every line to learn yeah. every scene and then we just change it and it feels like a waste mm. but he won't stop doing it because he feels it's that motion and that craft yeah. that allows him that freedom it's like he wouldn't be able to relax as much into an improvisation if he didn't know that if it doesn't work 
he's got it all backed up. Like he's, he's yeah, got the, yeah, yeah. The, the the plan bit backed up anyway. So again, it's that similar yeah. that training to allow you to then just make it up as you go along. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that, that that's so I've, I'm doing more and more improv now. Yeah. And it, uh, improv is a weird thing because... Or last time I saw you at the Fringe, I think I caught an improv. Right, yeah, thing, yeah. So there's stuff, you know, there's stuff that I do, like I do the Comedy Store Players yeah. and it's really fun and it's it's still what you think. It's still give us a household object yeah. and give us a location. Bosh, yeah. away you go. And these are games, they're very recognisable and the reason they're still in play is because the household object that you shout out and the location you shout out is a thing you own and the person where she works. Yeah. And then we made a thing with it and it's still really special. Yeah. Right. So that's, it's great fun and I, I love doing it. And then I've started doing this, um, like longer form narrative improv. I did a show up here last year called Bozos mm. and it came out of a workshop thing we were doing and there was a, an avant garde clown was one of the characters and he yeah. was asked, what's your name? And he said, Bozo. And they went, that's disappointing that you should be called Bozo. And he went, yeah, but it's spelled B- B-E-A-U-X-Z-E-A-U-X. <laughs> and everyone went, mm, like this. And it was, it was very funny. And then it was a really great character. So we called the show after it. But what the show was, in the in the long term, I don't think that we hit the marks that we set for ourselves. Right. But that's okay. We set the bar really, really high. Yeah. And it was great to try and clear it. Yeah. And the fact that yeah, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, for me anyway, meant we still jumped really high, which is exciting. Yeah. But we were developing stuff where it still fundamentally needed to be funny. That seemed to, that's the contract with yeah, the audience. That's the deal. But it was a long way into, you will also care what happens. Because with improv, yeah. if you watch it, you go, yeah, but whatever's happening to you, I know you can change your mind. You're not committed yeah. to this narrative. Yeah. You might look like you are, but if you'll never be in jeopardy, you can change your mind. And yeah. so there's a lack of engagement from audiences and the sole pu- purpose of Bozo's of that, of that project was to go beyond that and go, all right, how can we genuinely care enough about each other that the audience will get this? Yeah. And when we managed it, it was electric. Like there was a, there was a thing get we that, did. That kind of commitment, because again, I've, 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 I've found that and wondered that as an audience member at improv before is you, are they enjoying it, but you're not as engaged or as, you're not as, as committed to it because it's like, oh, they're just making out. Do yeah, you know what I mean? You, you're, you're doing it. Tra- they're making out on the spot. Yeah, not which thinking is about the craft and yeah. everything else. It's like, it's impressive. But if it's, as you said, if it's a show that someone's slaved over for months and months and then they're on the street yeah. handing out flyers, you've got that bit more, even if you're not enjoying it, you, yeah, you're yeah, like, exactly. well, the, fair play. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is their life. Like this the is- best result for me in, with, with that kind of improv that I'm still doing in, yeah. in other forms is that someone watching it doesn't remember that, that you're playing Makey Up yeah. until afterwards. Yeah. And then they go, oh my God. Yeah. And that was also just made up. So there was a scene we did just where it became inevitable that the character involved was going to die. Yeah. And he was go- he was travelling quite slowly towards an inevitable death or yeah. something very painful. And watching it, I wasn't in that one. It was the, the same group. But watching yeah. it, I found myself like gripping the chair going like, yeah. oh no. Oh no, this yeah. character's going to die. So, you know, so we hit those marks. Really exciting. That in such a really thing. exciting. Yeah. And I love that kind of work. It's different from stand up. With my stand up, I'm still, the aim is really don't present stuff that you know is funny. Present stuff you care about and make it funny. That's my job. Yeah. So for me, it's yeah. now, it's a big mixture of, of political, by which I mean social politics and, quite confessional, you know, quite personal stuff because the things that I've 
done in the last few years and some very dark places I've been to are, it's fun and interesting and cathartic for me to, to talk explore. about on stage. Yeah. There's, there's two things I wish have, have, have jumped out from our mm. conversation so far that I want to delve into a little more. One was purely the title of, of, of cooking with the Miles Davis. Oh, yeah. And that just comes to mind because from our, 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 our festival relationship, it was always a, a, a wonder that you would be there in your in your mobile home, which which has which just, just been, been stolen, stolen man. Which is the super brig has been stolen, and dark, it, right? it, that's not a name I gave it. You know, yeah. I went to get one because I did that many festivals. I thought this would be a good thing, and it'd be fun for family holidays. Yeah. I was looking around; they all looked the same, and then I saw one that said super brig, and I was like, "That that's has my it. name with the prefix super." And I literally opened the door and went. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> the guy Brilliant. was like, what? Brilliant. Yeah. And but the, it's just been but remember just, as I said, yeah. just, 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 mm. just being at festivals and at one point just hearing you let Jupiter know what was for dinner the next three nights in case <laughs> you wanted to stop by. And you yeah. really would, it, it was a beautiful thing because at festivals you would really, you would at points forego the experience of going and seeing stuff to make sure you were cooking a really good meal yeah. and you'd have people over. That's so important. You know, it was, it was a real thing. So, yeah. so how, like, when did that become a... That's huge. Okay, so there's a, so there's like, se- there's several things at work there. One is I don't drink, Yeah. right? And actually what took me into rehab was an eating disorder. It was only yeah. once I got there that I figured out I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. And right. so those just had to go. An eating problem is a thing you have to negotiate. You can't just stop eating. So yeah. three times a day, I have to sit down with my drug of choice and go, hmm, I better look around the room and see what would be a reasonable point to stop. That's really right? interesting. So, yeah, again, you yeah. You think of any other drug, yeah. what you generally say is, no, it's not a yeah. manageable thing. If you're an alcoholic, you can't have alcohol. You can't say, oh, I'll have a bit. Yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't with work. This, imagine being an alcoholic and saying, well, you have to have some three times a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, Just sit down, have, <laughs> have three times a day. Yeah, you're allowed a small line of Coke at breakfast. Yeah, you're allowed yeah, a pill yeah. at lunchtime. Oh, and no, then, no, you know. no, not allowed. You have to have. You have to have. You, you have must. Have. You this, must is, have. this isn't an allowed. And it, is, I mean, you know, you eating disorders as an addiction kill more people than the yeah. other two combined. Alcohol and, I mean, there are plenty of addictions, it's, but alcohol and drugs. So it's, that's a weird thing for me. Yeah. But I now have a very joyful relationship with food. My weight fluctuates and causes me a mixture of embarrassment and some pain and occasionally pride, but none of them mean anything, really. It's just a thing. So at festivals, not drinking, having a motorhome and, you know, that being a place, oh, I can cook and I can really cook and I'm passionate about food as well. Plus my parents... Um, Lord and Lady Brexit, as we now call them, <laughs> bless their hearts, uh, are the most amazing, generous hosts. That's that's what I've grown up with. They love people coming to them and providing for yeah. them, and I've definitely kind of picked up on that. Brilliant. So my fun thing at festivals has always been pre- prepare something that will have anyone going past go, is that is that a Beef Wellington at Glastonbury on a Sunday? Have they done? Have they done a Beef? That's insane. That's the, we did a love it. we did I a four it. cheese fondue. Amazing, yeah. And there's people going past, going, "This, this is not what 
you can't do that. And for me, also because I'm the person without a hangover or without wondering where I was last night. It was like, no, I was at the thing and I had a great time. And then I went to bed when I was tired. I've woken up yeah. and everyone else looks terrible, feels terrible. And they come past the van. I go, please have a seat. We're roasting some poussin. It'll be about 15 <laughs> minutes. If you don't mind waiting, there's some hors d'oeuvres. I, I love it. I remember, That's really fun. I remember being with Jupiter at one point and him showing me a text he'd got from you on, on the way to the festival because yeah. it was some obscure cheese or some kind of yeah. truffle or something you'd forgotten to get all <laughs> out of and asking him to grab some on the way. I was like, no one else is getting that text on the way to the festival. They're like, a gear's been nicked or, or yeah, 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 else. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, did, I, get, I did for Dukes, um, I did scrambled duck eggs and Burford Browns. I find just duck egg on its own is too rich. So duck eggs and Burford Brown chicken eggs with a dash of truffle oil for breakfast Amazing. one morning. And I'm like, but why not? In exactly the same way that friends at Glastonbury would go, I've got some really good gear. You yeah. know, I've got these pills and da, 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 da. this is amazing. I've gone, yeah, these eggs are, <laughs> these, duck eggs are, these are absolutely exquisite. These will make you feel very good while you have them. <laughs> My drug of choice, it. man. It's genuinely, yeah. I, 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 it's, ge- it's ge- genuinely this point, the thing that makes me m- most want to, to finish my record and get back on the festival circuit. Right, Just yeah, so I yeah. can come round for a nice while, yeah, although yeah, the yeah. home's gone How's now, the record yeah. going? Um, slowly. Okay. But I'm doing yeah. a lot of other things. What's, but what's slow for you? Like, um, how, how slow is slow? Like, it's, I mean, the last record was two years ago, so this yeah. is this is slow. I'm, I'm, I'm not used to that, but if I'd spent any time sitting around on my ass, I'd be beating sure. myself up over it. The yeah, fact yeah. is... I've had probably three days off so far this year that, that are active days off kind yeah. of thing. So it's like, I feel comfortable with it. I, yeah, I, cool. I, I, I feel at peace with it, but it'll all get there in the end. Because this, this show that I'm doing now, Why the Long Face, yeah. I wrote for last year's festival. So this is like an updated version before I tour. Yeah. And I was recording a radio series, um, The Briggs Society, which is, I think it's the best work I've ever done. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I feel very proud of it. And I did the maths on the last series and worked out that one 28-minute half-hour of radio, a 28-minute mm. radio thing, uh, is 50 hours for one of them. It's oh, wow. 50 hours of wow. research, debate, writing, and development. It's 50 hours. And I'm like, yeah, though. that's good. You that's good, that. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard work. Yeah. So I was working on that until um, July the 2nd, and I was up here... Uh, August the 3rd, I guess it was. Yeah. So I had exactly one month to write that show, wow. an hour of new comedy. The thing is, uh, like I spend a year making notes and having thoughts and developing little ideas, yeah, but sure. never like putting there. it down. And I've never done it like that before. And what it meant was when I came to the festival, firstly, the show wasn't quite ready. So it was yeah. that. But also I had this terrible guilt over me the whole time going, I'm kind of ripping people off here. I'm kind of, this is kind of bullshit. Like I'm kind of get, selling them yeah. something that's bullshit. And actually uh, it took me until the end of Edinburgh and then that feeling came back and then I did I did the show in a run at the Soho and the feeling had completely come back. And then the first night at Soho I went, no, do you know what? That's a great show. And what I did instead of the usual process is work really intensively on making a thing and as a show, it's therefore much more of a clear statement with a kind of like, this is what I thought, yeah. this is what I learned, this is what I think now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, plus it's all funny, which is, which is that helps. the deal. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that was what terrified me on the year I did a, a, a fringe 
a run was the mm. first um, – I got up a day early and the first two people I went to see were Brett Goldstein and Tom Rosenthal, who were both fantastic. Yeah. And they had shows. Mm-hmm. They had a show that had a beginning, a, a narrative, mm-hmm. everything. And I was like – it felt like I was about to do a run of gigs – yeah, I was doing a gig and they were doing a show, and it felt mm-hmm. like a different thing. And it, again, it all ended up fine in the end. And I did craft it into more of a show, and mm. I was I was really proud of it by the end. But it was the thing that it inspired and excited me. But equally, it was like I shouldn't have gone to see anything before my first <laughs> sure, night. Yeah, because yeah. now I've got my first night, and I'm like, oh, this is shit. Yeah. This, this just isn't going to work. But this is the place. Edinburgh's the place where. Nine times out of ten, I conceive the idea for the next show. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I don't think they're stolen or plagiarized or anything like that, but you're just around a lot of creative people and you might see something and an hour space. later, you, your brain is just going, that was great, that was great, that was great. And what's a little bit weird is I actually I, I came up with the it idea. It can ruin a show. It can ruin a it show totally you're watching because something can happen early on yeah. that you're then like, not that you're ripping that off, but it sends you off on an idea on your or a thing, thing and you're like, Fuck! I'm, I've been blown away by the first ten minutes, and then I've ignored. The I last lost the rest fifty yeah. because I've just it sparked yeah, yeah. something. No, but I've yeah, got sorry, a continue. I've got a thing. So the next show will be uh, it's called Authentic Frontier Gibberish. Yeah, and um, that's a line from Blazing Saddles. This is a great moment before Sheriff Bart comes to the town, where Gabby Johnson gets up at the town meeting and he goes, "No fucker, fucking fucker, fucker's gonna rob me out of our town." And then the, uh, one of the other Johnsons gets up and goes, now, who could argue with that? <laughs> Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, and so it goes on. <laughs> yeah. But what it is, is um, authentic frontier gibberish is a basket into which I will put all the things that should have never got out of the planning meeting. Right. Donald Trump's run for presidency yeah. up one end, uh, homeopathy up the other, yeah, yeah. through to certain journalists who get commissioned to write stuff despite the fact people employing them know they won't do any research they will yeah. just write a thing through to my own failings and, and all the rest of it and this basket i just i'm really interested in how very bad ideas get traction yeah right because so many bad ideas get traction yeah, in really. the for example when michael gove said i think this country's had enough of listening to experts my my group of friends went my God, that is the most disgusting and frightening thought ever yeah. that we would reach a point where a, a public service politician could stand there proudly going, I don't want to learn from people who know more than me. Yeah. But the reality is most of the people in the country went correct. Yeah. We are done with all this complicated stuff. Let's this is go. so hard. Let's just make a completely uneducated decision. And they're not wrong in yeah. the in the when they go this is so hard like understanding the mechanism and why Europe is complicated and the ways in which it's flawed but still better than almost any other yeah. option and also obviously very pro-European but also the most ambitious democratic project that's ever been undertaken by anyone ever in the history of mankind. No one invaded anybody. A bunch of nations, democratic nations, all next to each other, whose entire history has been spent in and out of skirmishes, going, "Um, there might be a thing if we all just kind of went, what if we all stop fighting and go in the middle? 
Yeah. And when I, I was asked by a kid, like 20 something, you know, he, he, he was going to vote leave, which I'm sure he did anyway, but he asked me why I was so passionate about it. And I said, well, I can give you any number of reasons, but here's a really great one that I've always loved. When Romania wanted to join, they were still chaining orphans to beds and Europe went, no, we can't do it. And they went, well, yeah, but it's kind of our way and we've got a lot of orphans. And they went, okay, you can be in this club when you fucking pack that in. If you don't stop that, you are not coming in because the bar is higher. We aim higher. We do better. And Europe fails. It fails people uh, very, very often. But uh, in terms of stuff like that, it just doesn't. It sets the bar really high, way higher than America or anywhere else, anywhere else that I can think of in the history of mankind. Anyway, I can't remember how I got there, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I I was distracted a a lot of that time of thinking of stuff that shouldn't have got past the planning. Uh, Oh yeah. And and just, 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 just one, I was, I was tweeting about it about a year ago now because I drove past it. And again, it comes full circle to saying how fucking weird Edinburgh is. Mm. If Edinburgh didn't exist, then no one would start Edinburgh. Like the French, no, no, sure, that's true. Yeah, no one would say they'll all just come in. <laughs> no, they go. No, they won't. But no. the one that I, I drove past it, and I was like, when you, it's just accepted and it's massive. But how weird is Madame Tussauds? Uh, oh yes, just the like, idea. I just can't the speak idea, for how mad that is. It's like right. So we're just going to make wax, yeah. wax ver- The wax bit's weird, and so we're going to make <laughs> wax so versions. Of who? Of famous people. Yeah. All right. And then people will travel from all over the world to come and look yeah. at wax versions of and famous people. And they'll queue people. and pay in excess of £30 it's to stand next to it. It's really amazing. Again, on paper, and then, it's like... And then no, question, gonna, what are you going to do with the ones who are no longer that famous? Uh, we'll keep them. We'll yeah. keep them on exhibit. Yeah, we'll just keep <laughs> them there bad. and people will be, oh, who was that? Uh, uh, do you remember from like so 20 years weird. ago, it was that person? Well, it's also like... But I remember being excited about it as a kid. I remember like, yeah. oh, we need to go to Madame Tussauds. But the context this, this was also different because we weren't then... There weren't pictures of Jay-Z yeah. every single day yeah, showing up it's at true. a place. So, you know, and cameras... Because people still, I find that like... Occasionally to do a telly thing and they go, have you got a picture of you when you were... No, no one had a camera. Yeah. Like, yeah. somewhat, your mother had a camera yeah. for holidays. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and that yeah. was it. No one had a camera. So, yeah, but no, Madame Tussauds, that's crazy weird. It's just crazy. So imagine if it was, imagine that. Imagine if it was just one photo of a famous person. Yeah. People wouldn't and come you'd to all that. you'd all gather. How about if we get rid of a photo and instead we create them out of wax? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm on board. Yeah. Come and look at a photo of Jay Z. I didn't didn't give a shit about that. I know, Come so and look strange. At a wax version. Of, well, I'm so strange. I'm but there. there's also like there's also ideas that ideas <laughs> that you can understand. So, Madame Tussauds, I kind of get where that came from. There yeah. was a moment when you could go, listen, you're not going to get to see the king. Yeah, yeah. But here's what the king would look like. And you go, oh, God, what, look at the, yeah. do you look at the king's jacket. It's all covered in braiding. And that's yeah. a nice thing to stand next to. Yeah. And then, you know, like the emergence, for example, of not so much guns and bitches, but bling in hip hop. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the emergence of hip hop being a thing that could make you very rich. Yeah. And make you like go from, here's your experience. And now suddenly, 
here's your experience. Here's, wow, I can see how that gained traction. What I don't understand is how it remains. How does it, how does an idea like that, which is so obviously corrosive, how does it stay? How does it maintain? And we do that, like we do that across everything, across everywhere you look. There's all these things you're like, yeah, that used to make sense. And now it makes no sense at all. I had Killer Mike on the podcast. And it's, I think it's, it's one of the sections that made it into the book because he yeah. blew my mind because he's an amazing rapper, a really credible. He was like, I get young black men wanting to be rich. And he was, but he was like, and that's what I'm about, but I'm a businessman and I'm going to create an industry. And he's like, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to have all my merch made locally and I'm going right. to feed my community. And yeah. it's still me hustling. It's still me yeah, making yeah, yeah, money yeah. and being greedy and selfish yeah. And he's like opened all these barbershops. He's got this chain of barbershops because he, he? It's, it's, he thinks it's an essential part of community. He's like, yeah. but equally, I'm raking him money yeah, from huge. this. I'm not saying you need to change your nature and suddenly become this charitable, yeah, yeah. give all your money away and live humbly. It's like, you can still be a wiling out, but you can do it in a way that helps your community, that feeds yeah, your community, yeah. that brings others up around you. And I was like... I've never considered, or th- and no, it was sure. just so beautiful. I was like, "You've put this in a way that you you can still be the biggest baller in the world, but yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah, it in the yeah. right way." Yeah, yeah, no, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, no, it I is. Love it. It's incredible. It's incredible. And those things are difficult. I remember, like, I went to when I was really into the climate change stuff. I had two trips to the Arctic, and um, the fir- after the first one, when I don't know in reality if we did nearly die. But yeah. I think we nearly died. Yeah, yeah. So we sailed from um, from Norway to Greenland across what would have been part of the Arctic ice sheet, but no right. longer is, in a small boat. And there was a guy, um, a self-trained climate scientist, a day into the trip, who went round the boat. There's 24 of us on the boat, quietly going, you ever, you ever been on a sailing boat before? And I went, no, never. So exciting. And he kind of wrote it down. And he went to the guy who organised the trip and he went, of the 24 people on this boat, four a crew and like five others have spent a night on a boat before, you should turn around. This is a very, very, very bad idea. Right. And wow. we then got into all sorts of trouble. And, you know, I swear, yeah. I, I swore I would never go again. But the next trip was up the west coast of Greenland, going ashore, no big ocean stuff on a larger research vessel, meeting Inuit people, which is really why I went in the first place. Yeah. It was like icebergs, yeah, huge, white, bluish, sometimes yeah. exciting, but mostly the people. Yeah. It's kind of always, so that's always the thing. I've seen me. photos of or a wax yeah. work of. Yeah, but people who, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but people who live there, I'm like, how do you do that? So I was yeah. fascinated. And I went back and Katie Tunstall was on that trip, yeah. right? And, and, Katie, do you know Katie? Like, I don't, I don't. she's one of the funniest people I've ever yeah. met in my life. She's just yeah. awesome. She's just a great, great person. And she, just going back to what you were saying about uh, about trying to take responsibility, like she's a big rock star or pop star yeah. or whatever the thing is. And she just went from way back when she went, oh, um, all the things, all the actual records you sell, all the CDs and stuff, um, that all needs to be sustainable. That just, like, even before the trip, she just went, that's a thing that needs to happen. And, you know, somebody somewhere was going, but that's, like, per unit, that's this amount of pennies more. And she she just brilliantly, she just went, yeah, Yeah, that's that's right. Correct. That's it. Correct. I love it. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Yeah. She's a good egg, Katie Tunstall. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, I love it. So how was that then, going and the second trip, that? The second mate, trip, Mate, yeah. okay, second trip, we went ashore and Jarvis Cocker was there. Yeah. And Katie, uh, Feist, um, Martha Wainwright, Shlomo, Richie um, Re- Sakamoto, who wrote Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, and won Oscars wow. for it, and Robin Hitchcock, and one or two other musos. And we went into an Inuit bar with a bunch of drunk Greenlandic Inuits smoking and drinking very heavily while Jarvis went, uh, I might perform babies now with Richie Sakamoto on keyboards, <laughs> uh, Martha Wainwright, Robin Hitchcock and Katie all playing guitar, Shlomo doing the drums, all of them doing backing vocals and Jarvis performing babies. It was literally like any enemy journalist's Wet dream. Yeah, it was happening yeah. right there. <laughs> and the Inuit community of Greenland shouted and talked throughout Didn't and over the shit. whole thing. And man, fuck all to them. Like, who that. is this pointy man who's come ashore in Greenland, by the way, in a brown suit? Yeah. <laughs> What's going brilliant, on there? Brilliant. Performing this odd song uh, where he, he hid inside your wardrobe. <laughs> like, I absolutely adore mate, it was stuff incredible. like that. Because, like, I, I get asked a lot, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I get asked a lot if why I never play in my hometown. Right. And which is where? Stanfordly open Essex. I live, I still live there. I've lived there my whole life, but it's the equivalent. Okay. They they would look as blankly at me as you did at Joe's. Cause again, it's not that kind of place. It's a very working class Essex town. They're not up for some, some, some beardy hipster twat doing some spoken word or rapping or whatever else. It's all like, it's like, no, it doesn't. They're like, oh, but there's this pub, like you could play in the railway. I'm like, no, I'm that sure feels I horrible. I think I would get beaten up yeah. and then have to walk two minutes to my house <laughs> and fear that they can beat me up any time they yeah. want the house. It's like, that doesn't appeal They'd to you. They'd know where I was. Yeah. But um, yeah, the second trip The second trip was great. I'm really amazing. glad I went. Also, it kind of exercised some demons because I, I came back from the first trip as well, not only very shaken up by what had happened, but also with this very muddle-headed idea that if people weren't addressing climate change, it must only be because I wasn't shouting loud enough about it, which is incredibly arrogant. But it was just a hole I fell in and and then I kind of got over it. But the second trip kind of made me realise, because the science up close, when you start looking at it and what's possible, it'll keep you awake. It really will, like going, oh, Oh my God. But the second trip kind of made me realize these things all exist in context and yeah. whatever happens, you know, we will, we will adapt on some level. Some it might be difficult. Well, but, yeah. I'll start to wrap things up. Yeah. Cause we're over the air and I know you've got other places. It's, it's the fringe. Obviously there's a million yeah, things a million to go things, and do. Yeah. Um, just two things I want to get to. Number one, it was fascinating that you were saying earlier and it surprised me how you weren't, you were kind of a tear away as a child because I very much put you in the in the educated sure. section along with a Robin Ince and, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. this kind of crowd that kind of have that. So, so what no, was, it was your the, kind of? It was a, it was the opposite thing for me in that I had the world. I mean, in, in, in many ways, it makes it all the more rewarding and impressive because it's then been a choice yeah, in your, no, in your I mean, adult life to go. No, me. I need yeah. to educate myself yeah. and so on. But yeah, it totally but, was, and I I suppose. Like that was inevitable, but nonetheless, I am proud of it because I had to go and do it. So the world was handed to me on a plate 
but the plate was a bit cracked in as yeah. much as, so my dad worked in the city and my mom was in education mm-hmm. and we had a lot of money yeah. and not hereditary money. My dad worked long hours and yeah. he was in that, you know, he was in that world. And I went to boarding school when I was seven, yeah. which was the, right. the thing. My mum yeah. went when she was five. Military family, five years old. And what, what happened for me, interestingly, my son's 13 now. When he turned seven, which is the age I went to boarding school, I spent nearly a year where I couldn't really talk to my parents. I was so angry with them. Yeah. Because this tiny little boy, my beautiful boy, yeah. was the age. And I had never... Because you can't really see yourself when you look back. You know? And I looked at this little boy and I was like, how did you send it's me away? away? How yeah. did you do it? What happened? See, my brother went, right? He's eight years younger than me. My brother went and it just all worked for him. And yeah. he's not like, he's not some blaring posh boy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's posh. We are. My family yeah. are posh. But he's like this incredibly kind, incredibly sensitive, very progressive, liberal, yeah. aware generous, cool guy. He's my best mate, yeah, my brother, yeah. you know? Um, but it didn't work for me. Yeah. The wheels came off real quick. So I always thought I was fat from the day I was born right. and then it got bad. But actually I, I did some sort of work, some therapy work on it and I found some old pictures and I was this normal little boy, you know, the first yeah. year I went off to boarding school. Within a year you'd go, oh, look at the chubby kid. And within two years I was having my uniform for school made by a tailor because there wasn't, you couldn't get it for a kid of my age, couldn't get that uniform. So I was that fat and it happened that quickly. I just got massive. Yeah. And it, all it was, was uh, like a coping mechanism for extreme grief that I went into. This by the way, makes it sound a lot like everything that happened was because of this terrible, cruel decision. My parents made sending me, sending me to boarding school. Not true. My parents continued to love me and support me and were making decisions based on their life. I was going to say, it was was something that it was very normal. Yeah. Very the normal to them or even at that point. Yeah, and also like making the best decision possible for their child to to create advantage. I mean, it's in our nature, but it's also, and you know, it worked both for them in its own ways and really worked for for my brother. But for me, the wheels came off and the eating very quickly meant I stole a lot, loads, because yeah. you have to, you can't get enough food. Yeah. So I was stealing all the time and getting in trouble for that. And then a cycle of trouble and da, da, da. And then of course I was fat and very fat and very uncomfortable with that. It's very painful. So as soon as I found alcohol, when I was like 11 was the first time I kind of went, yeah. ah, oh, that really quickly makes you feel like a huge meal makes you feel in that everything goes away right. goes numb yeah. i don't think i processed it that clearly but anyway so I started getting drunk from about 12 whenever i could which was infrequently then moved school at 13 and was able to get drunk very often and was yeah. able to eat like you wouldn't believe yeah. just bang, bang 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 and so by the time i was 15 i'd been expelled three times there's no way like education just there wasn't time. There wasn't space yeah. in my world yeah. for it, you know? Uh, plus I was in a lot of pain. And what would happen is I'd be tested and clearly I was a bright boy. Yeah. I understood stuff, you know, yeah. but I just, it just wasn't going to happen. Appealing. So yeah, then, uh, and I moved to Devon and I kind of left home really when I was 15, 16 and was living down in Devon and the wheels just came off because then there were drugs and alcohol 
and food all at once. Yeah. And the more that happened, the more pain I was in. So like, for me, I think the best description of addiction is not, it is that the pain you're dealing with is yesterday's addiction. Right. Right. And my pain was all the promise I made myself at bedtime. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that I stole your jacket and sold it to get something I needed. And I like you and I feel shit about that. It wasn't that because that's a thing. And I got caught and it was embarrassing, but I fronted it out and we were okay. It was a contract I made on my own in bed and I'd lie in bed on my own. The lights would go off and I'd go, geez, man, that was, that's bad today. Like you went from a bin. (sighs) All right. Well, in its way, I'm glad that's happened because that's the end of that now. We're done. We are done. That's all right. That's a line in the sand. Yeah. I'm glad that's happened now. And then tomorrow, we're on this. I'm not, fuck this. I'm not being fat anymore like this. Fuck this. Get up the next day. Same again. Same. You fall. And you fall straight away. It's not like you get up and go, and go like, yeah, I made it till lunchtime before I fucked up my shit. You know, I'd get out of bed and go, I need as much food as I can because I hurt all over. And so you break the promise to yourself day after day after day. And for some people that ends up involving prostitution, being around crime and stuff that will cause you a lot of pain. But I still fundamentally believe that the the spirally end of addiction is basically just dealing with yesterday's promise that you broke. Yeah. And it and it'll break your heart, man. It's so sad. Yeah. Like it's the saddest what, thing. I mean, this is a, uh, maybe a simplistic question, but what was the turning point to to not breaking that? What was the point? Oh, was it a, my a, parents, man? My parents. These these bad people who sent me away remained there for me whilst I just smashed up everything around yeah. me because that was the cycle I was in. They kept their door open always, always yeah. told me they loved me, and then. The craziest thing happened. There was a guy who my parents knew who had had a very difficult time. He'd been an alcoholic. Everything had broken. Then he got sober. And he'd said to my mum about a year before I finally stopped, he said, this won't make sense, but when Marcus is ready, give me a call. And she went, what do you mean? And he said, he's going through a lot. You know that. When he's ready, if like if he ever asks for help, just give me a call. I know what to do. She went weird she didn't really know him very yeah, well yeah and um and everything like just the wheels came off and i did i i vaguely remember it i've probably conflated a bunch of memories into one thing but yeah. essentially there was a day where i couldn't drink enough eat enough or use enough to stop from crying yeah right yeah. and usually you could stop it but it didn't stop and i i went oh shit okay that's it yeah done you know there was a um there was a Bono, a U2 lyric. Um, I was drowning my sorrows and my sorrows learned to swim. And it, it was one of those ones that just burst through for me. Went, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. So when I asked for help and that was it, my parents drove me to rehab and I was too young. I was 17, right? So legally I couldn't go in. Wow. I was at the time I was the youngest person in the country. I mean, now they go in very early. Yeah, <laughs> now yeah, we yeah, yeah. put my son down for a place at the Priory at birth because you want to be sure. <laughs> so, uh, but I was too young. So in the I catchment had, area. They had to be yeah, a good catchment area for rehab. 
People should think about that. So uh, they had to bring a lawyer in to sign me in oh, wow. to this thing. And then my parents basically drove away because I'd obviously changed my mind by then. Yeah. And I was going, really, you're going to leave me here as well? Yeah. Are you? All right, thanks. Mm. Just to like just be as nasty as I could. And they did. They drove away while I stood there like just looking ashen and, yeah. and horrific. And um, for a lot of people, that intervention when they stop is very painful and it was painful. I, you know, cried a lot and da, 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 but it was such a relief. Yeah. For me, it was not like the decision to stop and change was not difficult. It was the biggest relief. Ever. I was going to say in a way it's taking it off of your shoulders and out of your hands. Yeah. It's going right. It's not up to you now. So, so when you're breaking that promise every morning, yeah. there's someone going, right, you can't now. Yeah, no, so, exactly. We're right, here. You're not allowing me to. That, uh, that, that, that kind of then gets you past yeah. that initial bit, and then it's like, right, I'm, I've, I've kept that promise now. Yeah. I, I didn't. I can't claim I chose to. Yeah, I, I can't claim I've consciously also, kept that promise, yeah. but I have now. Totally. And with anything like that, the longer it's going on, the easier in, or often the easier it is to keep it because it's a bigger yeah. thing to break. Absolutely. It's like, right, I've kept that promise for. 10 years now. Plus you're surrounded, you're surrounded by people who are making the same promise, yeah. right? So, you know, when you say, when like your dirtiest secret, right? Most people have got one that they've probably never told anyone or maybe one other person knows. But when you say, for example, like I ate from a bin, yeah. not just like a thing near the top either. Like I went looking for food in a bin yeah. and someone else in the room goes, your bin or someone else's? Like it's top trumps for pain, right? Yeah. You go, <laughs> yeah. an outdoor bin. They're like, me too. High street or around the back of a restaurant, right? And suddenly, wow. suddenly, instead of being this disgusting, you know, like, because food's really clo- yeah. closely associated with love. Yeah. When you, the first act, crying child, is it hungry? Yeah. Hold it to the breast. Sure. Feed it. It's, it's love. Food is love. It's how we communicate very early on. Um, we give each other sustenance. So when you break that, when you can become really confused about that and food becomes filth yeah. and pain, you know, and then you communicate, you sit in a room with someone who goes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah." I used to watch people throw their food away in the hope that, you know, like I could get it yeah. and stuff like that. And suddenly you're like, oh, oh, there's another crazy person. Yeah. And then you find out this yeah. thousands of us. And then it's okay, man. And then suddenly you're like, yeah, it's a horrible thing. I don't want to eat from bins. Thank you very much. It's horrible that. It's it's great because that situation, it's it's finding someone that you can almost see as worse, but it also doesn't, from the way you spoke of it, not not even in a judgmental way. No, no, not at all. Just like, thank God for you. At least I'm not you. It's like, well, fuck. Yeah, totally. There's more of this. There's more. There are very few stories after the first, say, three months in recovery, there are very few stories that you'll hear that will make you go, whoa. Yeah. All of them are like, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And it's also, it's and less... that's the beauty of it because that's the important totally thing to the is. person telling the story as well, that you're not going well. No, exactly. That, even though it does feel, as you said, as a kind of top trumps competitive way, yeah. the beauty of that is that you've kept that a secret for so long because you think as soon as you say that, everyone will leave the room. Yeah. And when you do say it and they're like, all right. So also, um, exactly. are we going to like, <laughs> yeah. wait? I've waited to say this for years. Is like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's adorable. Um, and, yeah, you know, exactly. The next bit, it's like, oh shit. And that vun- also that vulnerability of offering something up that is probably really close to the 
source of your pain, the yeah. closest point to your most vulnerable place, you offer it up and at the end of the meeting or the discussion or the wherever, someone, without mentioning the thing you said, just puts their arms around you and goes, I love you, I hope you're okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God, you know. So when I watch The Wire, yeah, like everybody does the same thing with The Wire at the yeah. end of each episode is they look at bubbles and they go, please be alive when the next yeah, episode yeah, begins. Yeah, yeah, completely. Bubbles, the narrative of bubbles throughout that yeah. as a, as a, a, a method and all the other things yeah. that he is. The fact, because David Simon, is it who made that? I think it is. Right. He didn't let you have anything. He didn't no. give you anything to make it easier. Yeah. Spoiler alert, bubbles is okay at the end. Yeah. And that meant, so much to me. Yeah, it even yeah. makes me a bit emotional to think like but even, fucking hell bubbles made it. Even said though, you, the, the, it was, it was at no point would you feel it was a given at every no. point it could easily. That's right. Even like, even I, I needed the end credits to end completely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm still like, there's going to be the opposite of the excited Marvel after credit yeah, bits yeah. where it's something cool. They're just going to go, Oh, by the way, here he is dead. Oh, Bubbles what? died. No. Bubbles OD'd. No. Yeah, yeah. Just, he was oh, just so quickly, close. just quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because Omar in that, you know, like Omar was this character and the, the narrative of Omar's entry into every scene, into every episode yeah. was so big and so oh, powerful. Great. And when, the, another spoiler alert, but when they uh, dispatch Omar, yeah. no one knows, yeah. like no one notices yeah. He's shot by a kid in a, yeah. uh, during a stick-up in a grocery by mistake. I love that. And I he's love just that. I love to have throwaway. Gone, disappeared. And again, it shows the reality of these things rather yeah. than the, it's a drama, therefore, yeah, yeah, who's yeah, the yeah. biggest person yeah. that's going to get this guy? It's like, no, yeah. anyone, any bully. Yeah, anyone, anyone. Anyone, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Not safe. Well, I'll wrap things up now. Yeah. Um, the last thing we need to touch upon, and I'm sure it'll only be brief, um, I've seen it be asked of you several times on several different things but um let's just touch briefly upon when you were um a podium dancer <laughs> ah, I yes. mean, it, it's, it's got to come up it Good always times, has to. man do you know what it was amazing <laughs> so what happened was i went so i was a goth when i went into rehab yeah i was i was about the cure yeah and i liked a few other bands but really my life was about robert smith yeah and looking like Robert Smith is fattest. Yeah, yeah. And I went in there and I hated, because this was 1990. Yeah. So rave and acid had happened in the two years prior to that for for my circle in Devon and people yeah. went, I was like, it's horrendous. It involves yeah. moving. It involves, yeah, it involves brightly lit places yeah. and, you know. Looking like up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so bad, manner. so bad. <laughs> I went into rehab and I was 24 and a half stone. Seven months later, I was 11 stone. Wow. So I did 13 stone. Damn. I did probably more than you weigh, right? Right. In seven months. That's crazy. Gone. Yeah. And uh, a couple of things happened. One, like I kept falling over because my A, my center of gravity had gone and B, wow. the muscles in my legs were huge because they'd been carrying around 24 stone. Yeah. And there was now not enough blood for my head. <laughs> So if I ran upstairs and filled these leg muscles with blood, That's my body would go, no head blood, sorry. Yeah. And I'd go over. Yeah. After a while, that then balanced out. And a friend took me. I started listening to There was a track, Cubic, by 808 State. Right. Horrible. Yeah. And it came on and I went, 
it's all right, that. It's yeah. all right. It's horrible. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it makes me feel something. And he said, um, we should go. Like, we should go. There was a night called Rage at Heaven. And this would have been 1990. Yeah. And I went, oh, dance music. All right. Okay, fine. And I went. And honestly, man, it was from a film how much it lit me up. Yeah. I went in going, we'll see, we'll see. And I walked in and went, this is incredible. I'd never been in one like that. I'd been in nightclubs, you know, but I'd never seen anything like this. And the music was just incredible. And I started dancing and a couple of things happened. One, I was 11 stone from 24. So moving felt good. Yeah. Two, I was clean, no drugs. Yeah. And I was one of very, very few people yeah. Moving felt so, so good. And so I just wanted to do it. And the only way I could do it in the way I wanted to do it was not be on the floor with everyone else. Yeah. I needed space for what I wanted <laughs> yeah. to do because yeah. it was like, look, it was kind of look at me, but it was mostly for me. It was yeah. like me going, look at me, look at the space I'm yeah. taking up and I'm yeah. okay. So I'd get up on the, on the rostra yep. and throw my shapes and do my thing. And then I'd go every week and then I went to ministry and I'd, you know, ministry of sound at that time, 91, 92, no liquor license. Right. So people were there to dance. That yeah. was it. You'd go in, no coat in the winter, you'd be freezing cold. Don't take yeah. a coat. It slows you down once you're in. Yeah. In, dance floor, water, dance floor, all night, bang, bang, bang. Then they put a liquor license in, a bunch of poses showed up and ruined it. <laughs> but I'd go in there and I'd just dance and dance and dance and dance and, uh, one night a guy came up and and went, look, uh, I run the dancers here. Do you want to, do you want to be one? And I went, yeah. yeah and he I went, do. great. Okay, fine. And that was that. And so it was That's like amazing. this quite vague arrangement. And as often as not, we never got paid because it was always, we'll get you cash at the end of the night when we cash up, which was like yeah. 10 in the morning yeah. and you're done knackered by then. So, but I'd go, I'd get booked and we'd do, we'd go up at like, Every hour, hour and a half, there'd be five minutes of all the dancers would just get up. Everyone would be pushed off the podiums. We'd get our space, throw big exuberant shapes. Amazing. I wasn't even that good. I love it. But I was, I was that, that just the living embodiment of that principle, which I absolutely believe to be true, that the only pleasurable thing to watch is pleasure. Yeah. I totally yeah. believe that to be true. And I've, it's the only kind of, overarching philosophy I have for my own work yeah. unless I'm loving it there's no chance you can yeah and I do love it so but that was Perfect. what I was doing and so people responded because I was the guy I wasn't doing slow sexy vogue moves I was you raving my tits off <laughs> just having it and I dance with the beat not not to the not to the keyboard or whatever with the beat and if the beat was fast I was dancing fast Brilliant. very fast till I couldn't breathe because that felt great. And I did it for two years, man. It I was love it. so good. I love it. Well, that's the perfect yeah. story to wrap Happy things up times. on. Thank you very much for My coming pleasure. to have a chat. Um, this, uh, this is going out mid-August, I think. So so great. where can people catch you and where can well, people Well, I'll be... Um, uh, I'm doing my show up here, Why the Long Face, until the 15th of August. Right. Then uh, time with my kids, and then I'm touring through the autumn with Brilliant. a full-length version of Why the Long Face all over the UK. Perfect. Thank you.
have been listening to Scrooge Picks Discretion Pieces. There you go. What a lovely dude Marcus is. I loved having a chat with him. As you can tell, we were excited to see each other and catch up. So, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys. If you could, like, subscribe and rate us on iTunes and stuff like that and set your subscription to automatic download and and tell your friends that it's the best podcast in the world ever and if they don't believe you then you should could buy them a copy of my book that's based on the podcast i've banged on about that enough i think so um you can buy that and send it to them and give it as a gift because it's nice to give gifts that are my book all right see you next week ta-ta